Hey, this is Edgar. Hello, this is Stanley. Hey, this is Alicia. And this is The Minority Report, a podcast about politics and culture through the eyes of people of color. Wow, episode 45. We've done a lot of these, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting close to 50. It's a milestone. We're going to do some big things for 50. I got plans. <laughs> I wonder when we will like reach the one-year anniversary when we start Ooh. our first episode. Oh. Pretty soon. Pretty yeah. soon because it was... October, yeah. yeah it's October, I think, yeah. so I don't... I, we, need, we, we need to check on yeah. that. It might be, it might be this <laughs> we, episode. Might be <laughs> All the, oh my god. We've been doing this for a year. We've been doing this for a year. I know. It blows my mind. That's uh, so wild. <laughs> as always, <laughs> you can listen to us everywhere that you listen to podcasts. If you like what you hear, and I hope that you do, please, please share our show with a friend, with a family member, and let us know how we're doing. Leave us a review. All those things really, really help us out. Um, and as always, you can follow us on our social media on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Minority Pod. And on Facebook, we are the whole thing, the Minority Report podcast. This week, we are going to be discussing the Las Vegas shooting, um, of course, America's gun control problem. Uh, we will also talk about Rotten Tomatoes. We have a case yeah. study on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, we'll talk about the passing of Tom Petty, and there's more. So stay tuned for that. Um, but yeah, let's get started with the biggest news of the week, really. Yeah. This was really tragic. Um, just horrible, horrible stuff. Um, the Las Vegas shooting. So Olivia is going to start us off. So I'm sure everyone's heard about this by now, but on Sunday night, um, during the Route 91 Harvest Country Music Festival in Las Vegas, a terrorist killed 59 people um, and 500 other people were injured. I mean, this is including gunshots. This is including people trying to get out and get to safety. Yeah, absolutely Um, horrible. This is the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history, so... Previously, that was the Pulse shooting at Orlando, so this is this has now trumped that. Yeah, and that was what, like two like years, years ago? Yeah, that was a couple, a couple years, years ago. ago. That was not yeah, that long it ago. wasn't it wasn't long ago at all. And there have been mass shootings since then. This is just the biggest ever in U.S. history. Um, the gunman has been identified as a sixty-four year old man from Mesquite, Nevada, named Stephen Paddock. Um, police say they found numerous hotels in his hotel, numerous, numerous firearms, firearms in, in his, his hotel, hotel room that was basically across from where this festival is happening mm-hmm. in yeah. one of the, um, in one of the kind of hotel casinos on the strip. Um, he believe he's believed to have acted alone, although ISIS claimed responsibility. Yeah. Um, that's doing that a lot. Yeah. Though. But and it's, and it's it's ISIS that. claims... ISIS claims responsibility for a lot of yeah. things, yes. whether or not they've done it. So it's one of it's one of those things where it's like, okay, probably not. Um, there were about twenty two thousand people at the music festival. That so is a it huge, was a huge amount. Huge, huge, huge number of people. Right. Um, it was sustained gunfire, and Paddock was actually on the. 32nd floor. Yeah. So that his hotel room. And and the thing about this sustained gunfire is that he was using, um, you know, illegal magazines and clips in his gun. Like he had an automatic rifle. That's something that should be illegal. That is illegal. That is illegal. That is illegal. illegal. Um, you know, this was just an absolutely tragic thing that happened. Um, I just remember being 
just sort of dumbfounded when I read the news and just in disbelief, but also not. That's the sad thing about it. I wasn't entirely surprised that something horrible like this had happened. Like when it popped up on my my phone on Sunday night, just before I got went to sleep, I was like, "Oh, it's just another like not not really, but you're like, oh, it's another shooting." It's like uh, you, you know. get jaded, yeah. towards it almost. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it not, keeps it keeps happening, yeah. and I don't know. I I read something the other day. I think it was a tweet where it was just like, you know. I think we accept, like, we accepted that this was going to be a part of everyday life once we accepted that, like, a mass shooting of children was okay. So, like, after Sandy yeah, Hook. Yeah, after Sandy Hook after and Hans nothing Sandy was Hook done. And nothing was done. People were still, like, now's not the time to talk about gun control. I think every time you hear about one of these mass shootings happening, it's like, we need we need to give, you know, like, the victim's family's time for brief and was like but then when is the right time because it's never the right time no yeah you know know, and i don't know the answer to that and we're going to get into sort of america's gun problem just some basic surface level stuff um you know i think later on we should probably do a case study just on the gun issue here in america and we will um but this will be sort of a surface look but one of the things that comes up is this notion that America is unwilling to change after tragedy, after tragedy. So when we hear that, you know, 59 people have pat like were just murdered, were killed, and it doesn't shock us the way that it should. That's depressing. That's yeah, a horrible, the fact horrible that, feeling. The fact that we're all so jaded. Right. Mm-hmm. And that we're used to it. You know, living in this country, we're used to it. We're in the great state of Texas where gun, like... Oh, man. Yeah. Try, to, try yeah. to take someone's gun away from Yeah. Like, just try. Just try. And it, it, it's just absolutely horrible. I mean, and the other sort of bit, like, the other thing is that this was a music festival. This was an event where people come together to enjoy music, to have a good time. And it's like, it's almost like it's a sacred thing, almost. And they're there to, you know, enjoy one of the basic things that humans enjoy, which is music. And they're all there together, and then your life is gone. And, like, I'm sure you all saw the footage. I mean, it was horrible and horrendous. Like, can you just imagine being jam-packed 22,000 people, and then you start hearing bullets. I mean, that's why there were so many injuries, right? Because it is, you know, to a certain extent, it's like an an enclosed space. Mm -hmm. And so you have a mass amount of people congregated in one area. Right. Yeah. I also want to note, Stephen Paddock was a white man. And mm-hmm. the yes, news, this is another thing we need to talk yeah. about. The news and the media have already started going down their rabbit hole of mental illness and calling him a lone wolf yeah. and like right. basically just, you know, Anything, trying to humanize yeah. him. Yeah, right. And I think I want to make it very clear, my opinion, like, this is an act of domestic terrorism. Absolutely. <laughs> and like you... You have to call it as such because right. then terrorists are consistently othered and mm-hmm. that's not the way terrorism works in this country. Most, don't quote me on this, I might be wrong, but like a good amount of the terrorist occurrences in this country are by white people. No, it's that's absolutely fact. The majority of these ter- uh, domestic terrorist attacks are by these quote unquote lone man, like lone wolf gunmen. 
And this is just another prime example of it. Now, to be fair uh, and clear, we don't have his motivation just yet. The investigation yes. is ongoing. We don't know much of what happened. And he, he committed suicide. He committed suicide. There was a lot of guns and there's a lot of conflicting stories. And, you know, uh, uh, people are coming out of the woodwork saying, uh, you know, he was this just like they could never imagine him doing something like this. And of course, when you talk about mental illness, when you talk about guns, there is a correlation and there is a connection, um, you know, background checks and, and, and all the things that keep people from getting such weapons. Need, that, those are things that need to yeah. be talked about. But absolutely, you're right, Olivia. This was another white man who committed an act of terror. And there is this reluctance in the media to call yeah. it what it is. Um, I, I you know Stanley shared this Facebook post the other day uh, um, uh, on our group chat where some they called him just a gunman and he was like, no, he's a terrorist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah like, he, <laughs> like don't don't diminish what he is. He is a terrorist, and I uh, not to racialize the issue because people died, and you know it's not about race, but at the same time, th- it's important to know and it's important to take notice. Of it because when we are, you know, discriminating against a huge group of people for terrorism that they are not committing, it's the white people that are committing yeah. this terrorism. Yeah, like pointing it out serves as a way to fight that sort of systematic kind right. of a coverage, I guess. Is like, right. all right, it's so like a narrative if, for like white men, exactly. That it's get like, a pass okay, you get, you're being, a lone wolf, yeah. and like even bringing. Even bringing in mental illness, like, I am not trying to obviously diagnose this man. I'm not a mental health professional, but that's also othering people with mental illnesses and making, lumping that, basically lumping them into all, lumping them all into one category, saying that, you know, they're inherently violent or they're inherently going to act out in those ways when a majority of them are just not like they're not going to and i think there's a lot of sort i think there's a lot of ableism that comes in to you know like that comes into the media when talking about these gunmen because they're just like cuz it's a so story. quick to yeah. they're so quick to mention mental illness and especially politicians who are you know like trying to appease everybody they're also so quick to mention mental illness and I feel like there's just a lot of ableism there because it's like all right we're just not even going to acknowledge the fact that like this constant association of gunmen with mental illness is going to make people like it's going to make the narrative that like mentally ill people are dangerous are dangerous absolutely um the other thing we need to talk about here is sort of the 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 political response to this mm-hmm. and how senators and congressmen and just people in power responded to this. These are the people who refuse to enact gun control laws. And we will talk about that in a little bit, but um, Alifa, you have a list of people <laughs> who... I do. Um, Splinter. Um, Rafi Schwartz on Splinter uh, released this article today. Um, the headline is every member of Congress who took money from the NRA and tweeted thoughts and prayers to Las Vegas. Right. Um, and I can just read a few out. Uh, 
Colorado Congressman Mike Kaufman received 9,900 from the NRA during the 2016 election cycle. And he obviously tweeted, my thoughts and prayers go out. And so all of these tweets are thoughts and prayers tweets right. or like statements where it's like, my thoughts and prayers go out to the victims and their families. Right. Um, and, I mean, and not, and not that there's anything wrong with giving your thoughts and prayers to victims, but at the same time, these are the people who I make like, these laws. Yeah, it's, you literally, know? it's literally the fact that like gun control, like sensible gun control legislation is being blocked by these people, by these congressmen mm-hmm. and women. Right. And they're also tweeting out thoughts and prayers. There's right. like no cognitive dissonance. It's like, this is a gun control problem. We've all recognized that this is a gun control and gun legislation problem. So the fact that they're still, I mean, the NRA is hugely influential and we all know that and they they're have a lot of money. They're powerful. They're right. huge and they're powerful and, you know, but it's still, like, disheartening to see that, you know, we have, like, there is a solution. We're just not. Right. We're not. Wanting to face. We're not wanting to face it. We don't want to enact the solution. Yeah. So before we get into America's gun problem, because I think that's a great uh, sort of connection right there, um, I do want to note, you know, that um, – Whenever things like this happen, and we talked about we talk about terrorism, the man's action was to incite terror. His intention was to incite terror to change people's lives. I know, um, you know, I'm going to go to a music festival here in Austin in about two weeks. I'm oh. going to ACL weekend yeah. two, and um, sorry, something in my throat. And ACL released an email, um, and they started contacting people and letting them know, hey, you can return your ticket for a refund, which I appreciate that they're doing that. But at the same time, you know, I'm thinking we can't let this man's actions win, and you can't let it control your lives. Now, of course, this is so fresh, and this just happened. So if you're someone who's about to go to ACL and you're nervous, of course, you're entitled to your refund. Don't go if you don't feel safe. Um, But... You know, my I guess as whenever something like this happens and we talk about it every episode, like we talk about it whenever it happens and we say, you know, don't let this win because then it's over. like it's really, truly yeah. over. Um, but yeah, let's get into America's gun problem. Um, America's gun problem is unique um, in that, you know, no other developed country has as much gun violence as the U.S., Um, The U.S. gun violence is actually six times higher than Canada, and they also own many more guns uh, due to their hunting culture. So that's just, I mean, that's just a prime example. Canada, one of our neighbors up north, uh, huge into hunting, just like the U.S., yet our, you know, gun violence statistics are six times higher. Mm -hmm. Like, that's outstanding. Um, 29 out of 1 million people in the U.S. die from gun violence. This also includes suicides, by the way which is a big problem when it comes to gun control. Um, The U.S. has the most privately owned guns by citizens than any other country. America makes up about 5% of the total world population, but they own roughly 40% of all privately owned guns. That is a huge amount. And by the way, these are 40% of guns we know about. Of course, there are arms that can be got in illegal ways. Yeah. 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 So that, I mean, that's, when you hear, I mean, you hear numbers like that, what do you think? Like, holy right? crap. Like It sounds like military spending, too. Right. right? It's like, we I have, can't. We, we're, we're obsessed with guns. Everything that 
deals with ammo. Like, American culture is so entrenched with guns, but, you know, we, then you have Canada, which also, they love yeah. guns, but why aren't they having this problem? Yeah. And it's because we have, a, like, we have so many guns, and that's part of the problem. Uh, more guns lead to more death, of course. Obviously, that seems like a pretty no, easy... No, Edgar, guns <laughs> don't kill people. People, people kill, kill people. people. Like a direct correlation. Uh, you can check out Annoying. Mother Jones. They have data that shows that states with more guns have more gun homicides, which, which is like, no shit, Sherlock. Duh. Like, of course. <laughs> like, yeah, duh. Uh, most Americans support gun control laws. These are the things we were alluding to earlier. Um, they support things like background checks, banning of assault-style weapons, bans on high-capacity ammunition clips in magazines, um, waiting periods. They support all the things that just seem sort of logical before you purchase a firearm. Um, I think one, you know, suicide uh, um, activists. One of the things that they talk about is it is way too easy to get a gun, and when someone commits suicide, it is usually a very impulsive action. And when you can go and get a gun that same day at a Walmart you are more likely to succeed in committing suicide. Uh, When you try to commit suicide using a gun, it it is far more effective than other suicide methods. By by 100%, like, it's uh, the leading cause, like, one of the leading ways that people commit suicide in the U.S. So that's just, you know, you could easily curb a huge amount of the homicide rate just by making it slightly harder, a little bit more of an inconvenience just to get a gun. Yeah. Um, And that's something that... People in the NRA and other gun lobbyists are trying to stop. Um, So that's the other sort of thing that we talked about earlier is the NRA, the National Rifle Association. Um, They have um, deep connections with the Republican Party and the Mm -hmm. conservative movement. And it is their sort – and by the way – the NRA has been categorized as a terrorist organization in the past. Like (laughs) these are not – like this is not – you know. They're closely linked to the KKK back in the day. Like, this is not a great... Shady shit, of yes. course. Yes. Like, this is, of course they were linked yes. to I know. It's not like... This is not like, you know, a, a squeaky clean organization. And they have this enormous power in Washington. And, you know, until there's some sort of chipping away of this NRA influence on Washington, I just don't see how gun control can get through. Um, There are a lot of sort of different ways that people could um, go about gun control. In Australia, they implemented probably the most successful uh, um, gun control law, which was the buyback program, where they literally bought back guns from people at a fair market rate. And not only that, they had a program where people could turn in illegal guns and receive amnesty. So that would be like, okay, you'll return this illegal gun. We won't pay you. But we're not going to charge you, and yeah. you're, you're not going to go to jail. So a lot of people took advantage. Uh, they, I think the stat somewhere was that they got about 20% of all the guns in Australia that way. And even though that doesn't sound like a lot, obviously it's not all the guns in Australia, it curbed their homicide rate by over 70%. Just that 20% did so that much. that crazy? That blows my mind. And, of course, Australia is a smaller country, so people may... Uh, uh, criticize that but it doesn't matter you know any sort of way that we can get guns away from the people uh, um, who should not be having these guns I don't see why that's a hard like I don't see why the people are against that even if you're for the second amendment wouldn't you be for keeping guns away from people who shouldn't have them you know right like what right, right? I, mean, <laughs> right? And I think the thing that people constantly bring like I think like a big liberal argue, argument with gun control and with the second amendment is like 
Second Amendment was made for rifles that took like a million years to reload. Yeah, which is true. And, you know, you know this... and it was also meant for militias. Militias. It wasn't meant for private citizens. This was a very different time in American history, you know? like So try, I mean, like, you know, there there's a lot of bits of the constitution that we right. sort of right you know pick and choose and i think this is one because it involves private property involves you know like fun things that go bang and another excuse they use is that if we do gun control laws that they'll find other ways to break it or find illegal guns you know right i'm like that's the stupidest excuse ever because like we've done, the people who are going to get illegal guns, they're going to get them anyway. Yeah. yeah. But, like, we don't do that with, like, abortion because they're, <laughs> like, Congress is tra- trying to ban it for many years. And there's this whole debate, like, if it was as hard to get a gun at, as it was for a woman to get an abortion, it would make it, like, pretty impossible. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because it's just ridiculous, you know? You go to the store, and then you have to have a 72-hour waiting yeah. period. Right. And you have to, like, I don't know. It's like... You have to drive across state lines. Right. And, and, and speaking of states, that's the other sort of big uh, uh, roadblock that uh, America has for gun control, which is, you know, states have the rights to create their own laws. And that makes it difficult to control guns in a giant country like the U.S. of 300 million people in 50 states. Like, that is a huge amount Um I don't know. This is just, you know, another horrible, horrible uh, news event. Like, this is another horrible thing that happened, and we're talking about all these gun control things, but it's almost for naught because if Congress doesn't act, then, you know, so what? Like, it's nothing. Like, you know, I think you put it best, Olivia. After Sandy Hook, we as a country decided we're okay with this. This is, we'll take it. That's depressing. That's so depressing. It's That's really terrible. Man. Yeah, since Sandy Hook, we've had thirteen or thirteen hundred mass shootings in the U.S. Um, and the, of course, uh, we don't know about all of those because some are more. Uh, and I use this word in the literal sense, spectacular than others. Um, mm. You know, just tragic stuff. Um, um like I, I have a story to tell you guys. I don't know, but okay. like, like, kind of just shows like how all this is is like um yeah. so i was at a film festival right and these filmmakers from australia were showing their film mm-hmm. and during the q a after an audience member was asking um so in the movie the main character or the characters were using guns like but they don't only like with like nine bullets and the, the um audience member was asking so so why didn't they just go to a store to get more ammo <laughs> yes. and then the filmmakers answered well Unlike America, <laughs> in Australia, it's extremely difficult to get a gun. And then that was like, everyone just like started clapping. It was like, right. like, I don't know why, like, it's so hard to get gun control laws in the U.S. And it's like... Especially when a majority of Americans agree that like, an, like, sensible gun legislation is something we actually need. Yeah. Right. I mean, how, you know, that's a perfect <sighs> illustration so mind, Yeah, mind-boggling, like... Uh, yeah, I, you know, and we're 
obviously we're a podcast on the internet. We're not going to pretend that we have all the answers yeah. to this. This is a very complicated issue. But all I do know is that this needs to stop happening. And I think an easy way of doing it is just by getting just some basic gun basic, laws. Basic, yeah. Like basic gun control laws. I'm not saying like, fuck, like ban guns. Fucking background checks, y'all. Yeah, just yeah. Background, background checks. And we're not saying ban all guns. I think that's one of the like arguments people make. Like, no, I don't want to give up my gun. I'm like, I'm not saying to give up your rifle that you've had in your family for a million years, but maybe you shouldn't have the fucking handgun that can shoot a million bullets. Like, you don't yeah. need that. Why the fuck do you need that? You're yeah, not going to go hunt a deer with that. Maybe we don't need military-grade automatic weapons. No. Like, like you, maybe we just don't. We don't need it. We don't know? need that. You know, we're a country of excess, and this is one of those vices yeah. that is just so fucking horrible and tragic. And I don't know what to do. This um, is like an issue that should be easily like solved, <laughs> right? But weird. like, there's some like really stubborn people that are preventing it to happen. Yeah, a yeah. lot of really stubborn rich people. Yeah. who like pull the strings elsewhere yeah. like to Behind make sure it scenes. doesn't happen. Yeah, it seems like like we never actually. No, like see people in the NRA like they're just like this right it's just a they it's just yeah. an evil they like you know? this hidden like the group that no one actually knows <laughs> they're about they're like the faceless men in suits they have like right. shadowy faces yeah. and you can yeah. they're all around like a board ta- boardroom uh, table I know yeah. It's that, yeah it's it's really truly tragic um Okay, that has been um, just, you know, there's been some other news items that happened uh, throughout the week. And, you know, um, we just felt that this was so important and needed to be talked about. And um, like we promised, we should do a comprehensive gun control case study uh, sometime soon where we can actually get into uh, um, what that would look like and, and what are things that people like us can do to maybe make some of these changes um but when we return call your um, legislators yes call your legislators um when we return we are going to talk about rotten tomatoes yeah according to some the movies had a disastrous uh summer at the box office new york times says that the website rotten tomatoes played a part in it because people make sure the tomato meter reviews are high enough before they go see a movie I do that to myself. Okay, welcome back, everyone. So, our case study this week, we're going to talk about Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, what about Rotten Tomatoes? Um, so, there was this um, news article released in the New York Times called Attacked by Rotten Tomatoes that was written by Brooks Barnes that was, like, released around a month ago. So, we've been, like, discussing about talking about this topic yeah. for quite some time right. now it's kind of maybe old news but 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 not but, but not. Not. it's still it, relevant it's, it's relevant yeah. and it's an interesting topic because it deals with movie going audiences and move like how movies are made or broken now yeah and that's fascinating yeah so in the article just a basic thing is that um the author was saying how studios feel like they are they like the reason why the box office has been like really low or slowing down since like in the summer was because of Rotten Tomatoes. Um, yeah. So the main question that that we're going to focus on today is that is Rotten Tomatoes influencing what moviegoers are watching these days? So Olivia, (laughs) you can give us a breakdown of what Rotten Tomatoes is. So what is Rotten Tomatoes? What is Rotten Tomatoes? So, do you guys, did you guys ever watch the Rotten Tomatoes, was it a TV show or was it a YouTube series? I don't remember. They're, cre- they're they have a lot and they're creating more. Mm. 
No, I know, but like way back in the day, they used to have one. What what happened? They were like two hosts, and they would just talk about the movies. No, I don't remember. It was real fun, (laughs) y'all. Did it influence your movie going? (laughs) (laughs) But Rotten Tomatoes is basically a movie review aggregator. Yes. And And there's there's a lot of them, but this is probably the most popular. In the simplest terms, um, and movies are rated fresh or rotten according to these aggregated scores. Mm. Um, There is a critic score and an audience score. So they basically distill Mm. hundreds of reviews and Mm -hmm. rank it on a, you know, it's on a scale of 100 and like the percentage... If you're over 75%, I think you're certified fresh. And if you're o- over 60%, you're, you're fresh. fresh. Yeah. But fresh. anything under is rotten. <laughs> rotten, yeah. Um, so in 2009, these are stats from 2009, um, it attracted 1.8 million unique visitors per month. Damn. Now, it attracts 14 Ooh. million unique that's visitors a, that's per a huge, month. Yeah. That is... Fourteen million people a month. I mean, 1.8 million ain't no chump, but 14 million? I know. Like, (laughs) 1.8 million makes or breaks someone on the internet right now, right? Right. Like, you have 1 million followers. You have 1 million people Mm -hmm. listening to what you have to say. Like, You made it. You're big time. You made it. You're big time. You have companies left and right trying to buy up your shit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fourteen million per month. Unique per month. Unique Keyword visitors. Unique. <laughs> unique visitors a month. Um, last year, though, the tomato. So Fandango owns yeah. Rotten Tomatoes, and I think that's really important to acknowledge because a lot of people buy their movie tickets through Fandango. It's yeah, very, I do. It's a very popular website. Conglomerates. Yeah. <laughs> very popular website to go buy your movie tickets. They own Rotten Tomatoes and. Basically, last year, tomato meter ratings yeah. started appearing on movies yeah. before, like, while you were checking them out. Yeah. Like, so deciding which ticket to buy. Literally, you would go, you would search your theater, and you would have all the movie posters, mm-hmm. and you would also have the Rotten Tomato scores yeah. right. right there uh, right as there you're trying app. to figure out which movie right. do I go see. Right. Um, I mean, to be fair, Fandango's not unique in that a lot of websites They're and a not. lot of... Uh, uh, places where you can buy films like iTunes have that, but Fandango being the parent just makes it. There are know. lots of sites with rating systems, but mm-hmm. I think the combination of Fandango owning Rotten Tomatoes and Rotten Tomatoes being the most popular, well, like it's people become don't, the standard, right? It's become the standard. People really don't go to IMDb for right. ratings anymore, and people don't really use Metacritic for ratings at as much. As much, like no. I think. Film people are basically the only people who I use, use it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's what I'm saying. Like, film people are the only people who really use Metacritic, right? Like, I trust a Metacritic score more than I trust a Rotten yeah. Tomatoes score, but a Rotten Tomatoes score has the nice sort of duality where it's like, this is what the critics thought, and this is what people yeah. thought. And there's, like, more a wider net. It is a wider so. net. Right. So I think those two things in combination with each other, as well as, like, trying to sell movie tickets, just basically, like, unless you do well on Rotten Tomatoes then your movie's probably not going to make as much money. Yeah. Uh, or at least that's what um, 
That's what people are arguing. Yeah, people are arguing. Yeah, that's what exactly. That's what people are arguing. They're arguing that this sort of rating system and having it on one of the biggest, you know, one of the biggest sites that sells Mm. movie tickets is hurting their business. Business, yeah, right. Hurting the studios. So Edgar, what what are the studios' problems with Rotten Tomatoes? Right, so you know, (laughs) what is this? (laughs) No, right, so you know. so we've we've talked about this on the show yeah. before. Box office has been slumping, and especially during the summer. Uh, in August, um, you know, there was this huge. It was like a bottoming out. Like people yeah. were like, "What the? There fuck? was nothing out. Like, There's nothing out, and people were like, "Uh, yeah. I guess everyone, and, you know." And then, the, like we talked a few episodes earlier, there was already inklings that giant companies like Apple were going to release movies that you can watch at home, like soon after they release at the theater, and you're like. Oh shit! This is not looking good for theater, theaters, yeah. Theater yeah. and theater chains, but also uh, movie studios um, by association. So this is, you know, this is a, a, a pretty big deal. Uh, I think uh, the, one of the stats here is that this year was only like the only worse year than this year for movie going audiences was twenty years ago. Yeah, like. Damn. So there is something happening. And I think by just saying that, it just shows, it illustrates that something is happening. Now, is Rotten Tomatoes to blame? We will discuss further. But, Uh, you know, something is happening with the movie-going audience. Of course, technology is an aspect of that. Um, You know, uh, people like uh, Brett Ratner, a famous director and producer, uh, also film financer, said things like, I think it's the destruction of our business. That's a dramatic thing to say. Like, that's like, holy shit. Okay, dude. Like, so, okay. Um, You know, um, and we were just talking about this. The other sort of problem that Hollywood has with Rotten Tomatoes is that it has become uh, ubiquitous. It has become the de facto rating yeah. system. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, I was just, I was thinking back to my movie going sort of habits lately. And I do go to the movies a lot, not a, as much as Stanley's, obviously. <laughs> Stanley would try to go every day if possible. Yeah, and I respect yeah. that. Uh, but I try to go uh, uh, quite often. And, you know, um, I'm looking at, you know, I buy my tickets on Fandango usually because it's easier. Um, I usually look at Rotten Tomatoes because it's literally right there. Mm. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a person who went to film school. I'm a person who knows better. I'm a person who can go to Metacritic. I'm a person who can form my own opinions on this stuff. Yet, I defaulted to that. And I noticed that in my movie-going experience. And I'm like, imagine people who don't have this strong film background or this, or this film education. And they just see all this stuff and it's so easy and it's so accessible. Yeah. Like it's right there. Yeah. Like how can you blame them for following the shit that's literally in front of their face? Yeah. And even <laughs> like when you're looking up movies on Google, like without searching Rotten Tomato ratings, like if you're searching up a movie, the Rotten Tomato rating would pop up during yeah. the results. So Right. And speaking of that ubiquity. It's literally on the side. They'll have like an IMDb, yeah. a Rotten Tomato. Yes. Sometimes a Metacritic. Yeah. Sometimes. Right. And that's the ubiquity <laughs> of it. You know, we were talking about iTunes before. iTunes now lists Rotten Tomatoes yeah. scores right on it. Like, I can go out of my Apple TV and look up a movie, and it will have that Rotten Tomatoes right oh. there. And that says something. Like, that's, you know, it's it's become the rating. It's become the standard yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Of course, it is an aggregate. Um, you know, there are people who will um, sort of criticize Rotten Tomatoes. Most famously recently, Chance the Rapper attacked oh. Rotten Tomatoes oh, yeah. uh, because it gave the house uh, um, that Will Ferrell, Amy uh, uh, Polar yeah. uh, uh, vehicle, a uh, 17%. And he was like, what the fuck, Rotten Tomatoes? And it bombed. That movie bombed. And that too. movie bombed. Um, 
But that, and that's a more nuanced argument that we can talk about later. But it's this idea that you know, Rotten Tomatoes can break a movie and can also decide for people um, if it's like worth watching. Yeah, people. right. And, go see it. and that's interesting because it's like you know, um, I know you know there have been plenty of times where I've seen a Rotten Tomato score that I totally disagreed with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, but if people are defacting to that score, like yeah. what chance? Yeah. What chance does that movie have? If you know, like it's just a negative score. Like some examples for the sum from the summer, good and bad. So like Baywatch and King Arthur both yes. scored really low tomato re- ratings, and they both bombed in the U.S. And right. Wonder Woman and Dunkirk scored really high on tomato ratings, and they did their box office like was much better than yeah. like they were predicted yeah. to be because right. of how high and universal the praise was for those movies. Yeah, and Baywatch was supposed to be like, like a hit. Uh, Big summer. Like had the rock, rock in it. Zach Efron. Zach Efron. And they're like, naked all the time. Like, and, come on. And like, none of us talked was, about it. No. <laughs> yeah. Didn't even bat an eye. The Rock and Zach Efron. Zach yeah. Efron. Like, and then you like It Girl. What's her name? Desire. She has some Italian name. I'm sorry. But yes. like Brianna Chopra was the villain in that movie. Yes. I should have been hyped for that movie. And then nothing happened. But I was like, nah. Oh. Th- that's interesting. Uh, so Nielsen, the Nielsen Research Group did a study and they sort of, you know, crunched the numbers and they're stating that seven out of ten moviegoers, moviegoers are less likely to see a movie if Rotten Tomatoes scores it between zero and 25%. Yeah. Wow. I mean, these are the people that crunch the numbers. These are the ratings people. Like, yeah. uh, you know, that blows me away. But anyways. So... Like what are some like what are the studios saying the flaws of the Rotten Tomato system is? Um, yeah, the first thing that um, studios point out is how binary everything is. Like it's either fresh or rotten. Yeah, and there's like no right. in between, no middle right. ground of like almost right. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. It's this not is like where a like vegetable. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. Like, it's like take it or leave it. You yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little rotten, but not too bad. Still yeah. tastes good. Like. You know, there's this one part that has a little mold on it, but you cut it off. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're True. right, you're right, you're right. Like, the Metacritic uses, like, a middle ground. That's why some people prefer that. Right. Um, yeah. Another argument um, is the fact that who qualifies as a critic. Since the like the site casts, like, such a wide net, like, does, should one review from, like, this um, non, like forgettable blog or like not big blog should be like weight the same as like the from the Times. New York Times. Right. And um, the president of Fandango stated that um, they they have like strict requirements of getting critics onto the site. And the fact that he also mentioned that critics at traditional outlets tended to be white men and that they wanted to include more female and minority voices by incl- like having this wider net of critics to post on their website. So right. um, ways that studios are trying to circumvent this whole thing. Yeah. How are they trying to get, like, get, get around it? How are they trying it? to get around yeah. it? Yes. This is like... Um, Game the system. Yeah, yes. this is like should be noted that it's only when studios know that they have a bad movie in their hands you know <laughs> because when it's when it's or like, they think that uh, Rotten Tomatoes would give yeah. it a bad score yeah I mean there's that. outliers like Mother you know what yeah. I mean <laughs> and 
So one thing that studios do really often is that they don't screen the movie to critics until like the very last day or even the opening of that film. So like um, people will go out and see, see it. it for themselves before like a rating even appears. Right. Like this was last done with like most recently um, Flatliners. Oh man. Mm. It got a two percent on Tomatoes, but like reviews weren't being posted until like Thursday night or Friday morning. Wow. The day of the wow. release. Yeah. Wow. Um, another thing that studios are doing more recently is like screening the, the films to critics that they think will give the movie a more favorable review. That's what's interesting. That's like yeah. really sneaky. Wow. That is really sneaky. Like a horror movie um, on the article they web- uh, mentioned, Leatherface, um, the studio um, screened it to more of the horror movie sites that right. would like actually like that, that movie. movie. Yeah. And now it has like actually like an 83% on Tomatoes. But it hasn't been released. Like it's, it's still like See, yeah. that's, that's some yeah. fucked up shady that, shit right yeah. there. That's some shady-ass shit. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm the average moviegoer, and I'm like, oh, this looks like an interesting horror movie. 86%? Yeah. Man, it's fucking Citizen Kane of horror movies. I gotta but go you know, see there's it. like six reviews. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, right. you, you yeah. just have to wait until like more reviews come. Right. Just yeah. like that's comments. True. That's true. But I, I think it also begs the question is like, how much of a deep dive are people going to do? Yeah. And yeah. is that the Not responsibility the of the site? Exactly. So uh, I think, like, that is the argument to be had. And lastly, as much as studios hate Rotten Tomatoes, um, the low scores, they love the high scores. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. like, Detroit and Baby Driver got high Rotten Tomato scores. They were, like, all over the ads. Like, 93%, go watch it now. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Right. right. I, re- I remember those Baby Driver ads, yeah. you know. And that's sort of interesting, especially Baby Driver, which is, like, quote-unquote smaller movie than a, a, just your typical blockbuster movie and they're like oh shit awesome Rotten Tomato score let's build this audience let's yeah. capitalize on this you the know the indie buster if you will exactly and it made over a hundred million in the US oh, man alone. Edgar Wright finally yeah. it took him a long ass time like his most successful film <laughs> yeah but. it took him way too long but he got oh, there oh BB Driver that's a good movie yeah so I just like want to bring this question out is like what is like the real problem that Hollywood is facing. Is it Rotten Tomatoes or is it the fact that I just want to p- put it out there that... They're making they, bad movies. Yeah, they're making bad movies. They should, making, so that's should the be, universal yeah. thing that they've needed to work on forever. Is yeah, they should just release movie. good movies. I think you know. 85% of it is that they're making bad movies. Yeah. Like, I legitimately think that there's some sort of... there's There are valid arguments in the, hey, there's some shady shit going on. But I do appreciate the fact that Rotten Tomatoes has tried to be inclusive. Mm-hmm. They're like, you know, they're right. A lot of the reviewers at, like, traditional outlets are, are, white men. are older white, white men. Yeah. Um, Not that it makes Rotten Tomatoes perfect, though. No. They're still getting all Rotten these Tomatoes older is, white men yeah. right in yeah. the aggregate. Like, Rotten Tomatoes isn't a perfect site. Um, and I do think that, you know, there is a lot of problems with the black and whiteness of what they do mm-hmm. and the way they aggregate things and the way they show things. I think there there are a lot of problems with Rotten Tomatoes, but I think 85% of it, like 85% of the problems that studios are having is that they just keep making shitty movies. Shitty movies. Right. And hoping that audiences would go to them. And right. remakes <laughs> yeah. and no original Sequels. content. Sequels, prequels. Like right. universe, like right. universe expansions. Right. Yeah. Like I'm done, y'all. 
Right. I mean, it, you know, and to be fair, it's not like people set out to make a bad movie, yeah, you true. know. Yeah. I, I mean, there might be some. Like, there might yeah, be some. Yeah, but why would you ever spend that much time or money? But but the thing is, you know. Doing a bad movie. I, I, yes, I, I, I actually agree with y'all. I think a lot of it is the studio's own fault. And I, I think we've known for a long time that the way that they viewed the movie going audience has been skewed in what, like they, it's, it's almost like they're just digging for gold and sometimes they strike gold and sometimes yeah. they don't. And it's like, is that really the most sustainable business model? Exactly. Like that's not exactly the way to go. But when you're talking about creative subjective things, it's hard. Like we just talked about, um, or we will talk about, uh, it in how it became such a huge, huge success more than anyone yeah, could, would, imagine, yeah. could ever imagine and it's not like they were planning on that they weren't yeah. thinking that and in fact a lot of people were expecting it to underperform mm-hmm. that and it's just like you just never really know no, yeah. with movies like it's not guaranteed like like mother got like pretty positive critical right. reviews and yeah. that kind of it was of barely bombed. fresh i think yeah. yeah and it bombed but then like you have something like the emoji movie which is like terrible terrible Garbage. yeah score and it did like pretty decent box office in the right. US. I don't know why though. Right. So <laughs> yeah. I, I you know, I would say yes, Rotten Tomatoes definitely influences a good portion of the movie going audiences, but it's not the end all be all of it. Yeah, I mean is it also they are they are an aggregate aggregate. So I think it's a really interesting question on like the responsibility of you know, the upkeep of the site and, like, the writers and stuff like that versus the responsibility of the consumer. I mean, like, I think... I want to say the book goes both ways, right? Like... Yeah. You have... Like, I think if you're making a site, you have a responsibility not to be, you know, like, tricky and to be nuanced, but, you know, on the other end, whoever is looking at your site also has to do their due diligence and make sure that they're not, like... I mean, yes, but, you know, but not everyone has a film background. Not exactly. everyone knows what they're going to yeah, be that's looking what I'm, for. That's right? what I'm, I mean, that's why on the other end, like, don't be shady, man. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. a t- it's, a, it's a really, you know, and maybe studios do have a point when they say Rotten Tomatoes could be a little more nuanced. You know, yeah. in the way that I mean, I definitely think they out. like I, like I it's said, either it's good or it's bad. Like the black and whiteness of Rotten Tomatoes, I think, is a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, they have the percentage scale there, but I think like the imagery is so much more impactful. Yeah. Like you either get like a pretty nice tomato picture, or you get a spl- like Splat. ugly green spot. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah. like I. <laughs> That association is powerful, and that imagery is also really powerful, you know? Yeah. And I also want to mention that there was another study that was done mm-hmm. where the conclusion was founded that audiences are, like, yeah, like, like Rotten Tomatoes don't impact box office right. numbers, but it also concluded that um, audiences are also more aware of a bad movie, like, they can smell it from a mile away right. these days compared to the past. Right. Which is really That's interesting. That's why no one went to go see Flatliners, you guys. Yeah, I went Not to see Flatliners. <laughs> Except Stanley. Except Stanley. But I got a movie pass. But so, Stanley's yeah. an outlier. <laughs> and even if he didn't have a movie pass, he probably still would have seen it. Like, no, no, I'm with Stanley's watching Flatliners. No matter because, what. Yeah. You know, he has a movie pass and he's like, well, fuck, I don't have anything else yeah. to watch. Yeah. So I'm gonna like, go if I see didn't have it. I wouldn't yeah. have seen that movie because of Ron Tomatoes. Right, you know? right. I mean, and, and, you know, uh, you know, to Olivia's point too, a, a lot of it, it's like, hey, people, make up your own mind. Don't always listen yeah. to what people say is popular. Like some, like you know, Mother, for example. Yeah. Like 
I, you know, even though, you know, I, I go back and forth on whether I recommend it to people or not, but at the same time, I'm like, watch it and decide for yourself because that is a movie that I ended up loving and adoring, yeah. yet some of my closest friends absolutely hate it and detest it, and it's like, hey, fa- like, that's yeah. fair, but it is what it is. You made, you you watched it and you made up your own mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is actually really fascinating, and I don't know what like I don't know what exactly the answer is, but and what the future has in store, like where right. everything. Went I think the better. answer is for studios to fucking make better. Yeah, 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 but, yeah. But that's always been the answer. Yeah. I know. You know I, what I mean, for any, like if any movie can be good, then that that sh- yeah, right. Would, like yeah. it would, you know, Rotten Tomatoes would cease to exist if every yeah. movie was always yeah. good, you know. But and that's the thing. There's changing like tastes in America, and people change what what is considered good and bad. Like sure. you know, that is a tr- truly th- changeable thing. And another thing is like competing screens, like v- like VOD and Netflix and all these streaming websites. Yeah. So people yeah. staying at home might also have to deal with like the mm-hmm. decrease in attendance. Yeah, and I think we were talking at work the other day about something and it was literally like okay well back in the day people were talking about cell phones as being the second screen and now cell phones are very much our first screen. they are the yes. first screen they are Absolutely. the screen and every other screen is a secondary screen yeah well, yeah that's why we're spending thousands of dollars on our on first phone, screen yeah. yeah because that's what it is uh, but no uh that has been our case study for the week any yeah. final sort of thoughts on this buttons on it to end Make better movies. Yeah, make, make better, better movies. movies. Absolutely. <laughs> when we return, we have some culture news to talk about. We started out in a dirty road. Started out. somber note um one of the biggest cultural pieces of news this week was the passing of rock icon tom petty um he was 66 years old he passed away um this monday actually just a few days ago Mm -hmm. two days ago it's it's really recent um of course he you know as many know one of the most influential rock musicians uh, of all time really of his era but also of all time um he's known for songs like free falling learning to fly um american girl uh which stanley you may know from silence of the lambs a really iconic song in that movie uh won't back down and of course mary jane's last dance uh classic albums like damn the torpedoes and full moon fever um petty you know he was one of those figures um that came to define the youthful rebellious sound of like that punky youthful rebellious sound of 70s hard rock that um still influences music today 
Um, I think I read an article the other day. It was like the the countless times that people unintentionally plagiarized Tom Petty in modern rock music, and it's like it's quite a bit actually. Um, you know, his music is um, one of the, you know when you think about rock, you think about this. It's it's a very genre, and a lot of it has a, a, you know a lot of British influence. But when it comes to Tom Petty, he's one of those uniquely. American voices and his music was really truly American in nature. It was about freedom, about the wide open horizon, about um, the road, about driving. Um, you know, when I was I was telling my brother about Tom Petty today because he was wanting to learn more, and I was like, "It's the ultimate driving music mm-hmm. when you listen to Tom Petty." Um, the sad thing is that he was still active. Um, he was touring. He literally was, uh, he played a show like a few days before he died. Um, um, you know, he, he was playing and recording music. He was recently featured on, um, HBO's The Defiant Ones documentary about Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre. Not sure if either of you have seen it. I highly recommend it. One of the best music documentaries I've seen in a long, long time. And Tom Petty's one of those, uh, really influential early figures in uh, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Iovine's life. That would really go on to define a lot of what goes on in music today. Um, you know, I wanted to mention it because Tom Petty is one of those musicians that means a lot to me personally. Um, you know, uh, "Learning to Fly" is one of those songs that has uh, gotten me through a lot of hard times in, in, in my life. So, you know, when I heard the news, um, I, you know. It was actually, it's actually kind of interesting. There was a mishandling of the information whenever it was sort of first reported. There was a lot of misinformation about what exactly was going on. Um, eventually, it came out that he died of cardiac arrest. Um, really tragic when it happened. I remember uh, I was spending uh, some time with a really close friend and we both embraced and hugged because, you know, Tom Petty was just one of those figures that meant a lot to us. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how much Tom Petty and, and Tom Petty's music means to y'all. Um, so I'm not trying to put y'all on the spot. But um, but he's like this hugely culturally important figure. And it's just a sad thing. Whenever things like this, it's just, yeah. it's just sad. He was 66 years old. Like, damn. Yeah, so young. That's young. Like, yeah. I know this yeah. doesn't seem young, but it no, is. No, he's you know? young. He was still active. Yeah. It's so weird. He was such a big... I feel like he was just such a big part of the cultural zeitgeist, you know? Right. Right. It's like, you know, even if you've never, like, if even you have if you no don't idea, know who Tom Petty is, you, you know hear his music, you, know his music, you hear yeah. it, you're like, holy shit. And then you realize how much it's influenced, like, the music that you know and love today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, rest in peace, Tom Petty. Um, you will not be forgotten, that is for sure. Uh, but moving on. So, J.J. Um, Abrams and Paramount are teaming up to do a live action remake of Your Name. Your name. Your name. Yeah. Anime, uh, yeah. huge hit. In Japan, especially, but not, yeah. <laughs> um, we, we revealed the episode, or the movie, yes. like, a few episodes ago, but J.J. Abrams is only producing, I think. Um, no directors are attached yet, and the um, Eric Heiser is attached to write. He is known for, most recently, Arrival, so... Which was a very Amazing. good movie. It's <laughs> yeah, a very yeah. Good movie. Um, what do you guys think? First thoughts. I'll go first just because I have no dog <laughs> in this fight. Um, we'll talk about dogs later. Um, but <laughs> this movie, um, you know, I I have yet to see it. But of all the people who've seen it, like everyone says, it is an amazing 
wonderful movie. I've seen the trailer a few times. We talked about it on the show, of course. So I think I know a little bit of what's going on. Um, it sounds interesting. J.J. Uh, Abrams is an interesting choice to be attached as producer. Um, he's just one of those huge names that can get shit done in Hollywood. So like having this could be a big plus. But um, other than that, I really don't have much to say. Since I don't know it, and I, I hope to know it, I need yeah. to watch the movie, or Olivia will shame me. <laughs> <laughs> you really do need to watch the movie. Yes. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, Olivia. Um, I do have a little glimmer of hope because uh, one of the original producers is also attached to be Ooh. producing alongside of Abrams and one other person. Okay. So you know that gives a little bit of hope, but man, I <laughs> <right>. really like. <laughs> Don't mess I'm, up, Hollywood. I yeah. mean, like, I was sitting here railing against remakes, right? So I obviously yeah. don't want more remakes. Yeah. <laughs> and I really love the original movie. Like, the original movie is so good. It's amazing. It's it's one of the best animated features. Yeah. Just bar none, like, it's so good. It is. Like, it ranks up there with Ghibli movies for me, which is like, you know, that for me, that's a hard bar to meet yeah. for any movie. So, I don't know. And I know, like, a good amount of the elements in that movie are so uniquely Japanese. Like, a lot. Yeah. I don't want to spoil anything, but, you know, there, there's some, like... There are a lot of elements that just have to do a lot with, you know, like, Japanese spirituality and Japanese mm-hmm. folklore religion and, and yeah. religion and, you know, customs and traditions and, like, it's... It just like locations of yeah. where the two characters are. I mean, it's it's very. I can see. I can almost see what an American adaptation looks like. A you little, know? Yeah, a little bit. Like I can almost see what it looks like. I just, man, I really, really loved. Mm. You know, just everything about the original. I don't know. I. Would you be totally opposed to an American reimagining? Like an American version reimagining of the story, just on principle. I mean, I think it really depends on who gets attached to write it, who gets attached to star in it. I think it would be really interesting if you had Japanese-American actors Mm -hmm. and, like, maybe you try to do a fusion of the two things. I'm not holding out hope for that. I know it's going to be two white people. Like, I already know. Um, But, like, I feel like there are interpretations of it that could be interesting. Um, especially since it is a very uniquely Japanese tale, I would be interested to see what it looks like from, like, a Japanese-American perspective. Mm -hmm. I think that would be, I think that would be a cool thing to see since there is so much of Japanese culture and religion and tradition and stuff like that in, just in the movie itself, you know? Yeah, so some of that would be lost. Uh, yeah, But it could gain, but theoretically it could gain Yeah, I mean, translations always, like, lose things, but it always gains other things i don't know i think we just have to see how it plays out i'm not like the only reason i'm pretty opposed to it is the general concept of like having remakes and like taking this beautiful wonderful thing that's already perfect and like trying to make it into a live action adaptation that's (laughs) that seems a little bit odd it's been like a poor like Output right. so far with like Death Note most recently. Yeah, right. Like yeah. they haven't they haven't found that magic sauce, that yeah. magic combination yet, and like adapting. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Is adapting there animated an things animated to live action, action that's that actually worked. good? Yeah. That has worked. I don't know. Nope. And like, 
mm-hmm. you know, I, I think there's, I think because Abrams is attached and there's probably a big, bigger budget for this, I think it could go well. Yeah. But I think, you know, I can already see it being another missed opportunity. It's like, you could have just cast Japanese actors mm-hmm. and, like, this would have been a cool movie. Mm-hmm. And I can already see, like, the think pieces about, like, the missed opportunities yeah. <laughs> once yeah. the casting is announced. Um, that's absolutely... I mean, that's true. Like, I, I just hope they... I, I really hope, especially since your name to me feels like a pretty risky movie... At the in, beginning, yeah, for... In general, yeah. right? Like, just the concept and, you know, just what the movie is. It would be a shame if they brought JJ... If they brought Abrams and Bad Robot in to, like, get it greenlit and they didn't take any risks. Right. You know what I'm saying? If it decides to cut out, like... Like, just make it more mainstream. Yeah. More palatable. Yeah. Right? Like, it's... And I feel like time and time again... The movies that are taking risks are like I I feel like if you're going to do, you know like if you're gonna do a remake if you're gonna do an adaptation if you're gonna do this animated to live action like ball out yeah take the big risks yeah. and like do interesting shit with your mm-hmm. movie because otherwise it's just gonna end up looking like a bland version of an already great beautiful movie, movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 same thing with Olivia like when I first heard the news I'm like why. <laughs> This is happening. Right. I think I literally... Stanley posted the article, and I literally commented. I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, uh, like, I really love J.J. Abrams. And, like, when I heard, like, the writer was um, the guy who wrote Arrival, I was like, okay, this gives me a little more hope. Yeah, those are two yeah. pretty big names. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like... Talented people. Yeah. yeah. Like, now I'm actually, like... I'll wait and see. And see, like, because it could be interesting, I think, like setting it in America but just like how the plot or the story would fold out would yeah. be so completely different I want to see what other choices they yeah. make like I that would be the most interesting thing watching this yeah cause like now that I'm thinking back there's so much about it yeah. that's like so Japanese Japanese everything. yeah yeah but, I mean, I totally understand that argument, but at the same time, there are adaptations oh, that yeah. have worked, that have crossed cultures. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There are times that uh, I don't, cultures, mm-hmm. you know, ad- adapt things that you're like, that. how could that ever work? But it works. Yeah. You yeah. Know? The like, Office being a huge mm-hmm. example of that, oh, which yeah. is uniquely British, but somehow it worked in sure. America yeah. in a completely different way. I I mean, I'm not... It's possible. I'm saying yeah. it's possible. And yeah. No, no, no. I definitely, happen. I definitely think it's possible, but with the caveat, with like you have to, you have to take some pretty big. I think you like you have to take some yeah. pretty big fucking risks, especially when you're yeah. going from animated to yeah, live action. Yeah, yeah. Right. And like the writer, he he adapted the short story for Arrival, which I read, and it is so completely different from <laughs> the, the, the movie, movie. <laughs> that like when I read the short story, I'm like, how the hell did he find find out a way to make this, this whole a, movie a feature? And, like, he somehow did it, like, so perfectly. I'm like, okay, maybe this might yeah. work. I'm a yeah. little bit more optimistic because he's attached. Yeah. I, I really want to see who the director choice is and mm-hmm. who they're, what their casting choices are because that'll determine whether or not I'm, like, into it. Right, basically. Yeah. And now right. it's, like, it's really early in development, so. Yeah, but yeah. speaking of movie news. Movie news. Um, it yes. has become the highest grossing horror movie ever, surpassing... Um, previous record holder, The Exorcist. The Exorcist. 
iconic movie. Yeah. yeah. It grossed, um, or it, the movie, grossed. <laughs> it, it grossed. <laughs> it, it grossed. <laughs> no, it grossed. It, it grossed $500 million worldwide. Ooh. And that's just... Half a billion. Yeah. But this was not adjusted that's to inflation. Beyonce money. So that's uh, just right, a caveat. Right, yeah. right, caveat. Because if it were, The Exorcist would still be number one. <laughs> that would be like closer to under a billion dollars. To be fair, The Exorcist has like 30 years on it. Yeah. <laughs> to yeah. be fair. Yeah. So, but that's still like a pretty big deal. Yeah. Because Damn, for an R-rated man. horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like those rotten Tomatoes, y'all. Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> this is all Rotten Tomatoes law. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's pretty, pretty, just wanted to bring, mention that news. Yeah, I mean, both Stanley and I were pretty big fans yeah. of the movie. And they also um, announced the date for the sequel, which is like oh. 2009, 2020. Ooh. 19 or 20. Oh. 19, I think it was 19. 19 it yeah. was 19th. Of September, like the same week, and Damn. basically. Damn. Yeah. I know. I'm excited. We'll so see. That's being fast tracked. So if you're a Stephen King fan, this is like the golden era for you. You got like Netflix series. You got all these movies. Yeah. Except the uh, Dark Tower movie, apparently. Yeah. We don't have to talk about Dark Tower. Garbage. We don't have to talk about uh, <laughs> let's forget that. Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> yes. Uh, but speaking of, of Netflix. Yes. Um, so there's this. Uh, so they Netflix made a deal for the Shaft reboots with. Um, Another reboot, Olivia. Yeah. I know. I'm annoyed, y'all. Like, <laughs> but this is like pretty huge news, it is though. Yes, huge. yes. Because industry news. Um, Netflix is working, co-financing the movie with New Line Cinemas, mm. splitting the thirty million dollar budget. So about fifteen million each company will offer, and this will. I so the way they're releasing this movie is the first two weeks New Line is releasing it in cinemas, and after two weeks. The movie will appear on Netflix right away. Maybe there's a way for streaming and studios to work together. together. <laughs> yeah. And that has to be one of the shortest, like, theoret- yeah. the- theatrical yeah. to VOD Beauty, yeah. release. I know there are certain movies that came out at the same, same time, time yeah. but just this. But this is like a bigger budget. Yeah. yeah and it's a I think- hybrid. I think yeah. this. I think it might be a smart strategy because you can make the two week release an event yeah. before it goes completely digital. You because know? most right. films make their money in the first two weeks. Yeah. Of the box office. So. I think it's a right. smart move. Right. Yeah. I wonder how this will change everything in the future. You know, if this I mean, more of this will happen. Yeah, and people have you know TVs that can handle movies like this now. I, this is like you know this is like the best time to be a uh you know home theater owner right now because you're like things are looking out for you like you got some good good content coming your way and it's coming sooner than later that's that's interesting this will affect uh, my question to y'all with the deals like this you know obviously this is in the studio's best interest to sort of you know connect with a streaming service this way but what about the theater how do y'all feel Mm. like do you Mm. think theaters are on the decline like is this i mean spelling I, the end for the theater i don't know if it's spelling the end for the theater but like theaters have been on the decline for a, a while long time, yeah. a long time i think theaters were i think a lot of theaters are going to shut down i think theaters are going to be used for more like specialty, specialty like, event, events like uh-huh. fucking fathom screenings like <laughs> mm-hmm. does that make y'all sad stanley um, I hope not because I actually <laughs> like going a, to yeah. a theater. Yeah, yeah. this like a, you're yeah, an old breed, though, Stanley. Yeah. But that's what I'm. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, yeah. I feel like it'll. I feel like the number of. It's a, it's a slow going, but like the. You know, 
theaters have been in decline for a while. Yeah. Like we've we all know this. So I think it'll I think there I think a few theaters will have enough business for people like from people like Stanley who just like going to the going to the movie theater. Right. So like I think there's gonna be enough of that to like I I don't think the theater system is gonna shut down completely. Like I still think you're gonna have fun like events, you mm-hmm. need places to screen movies during festivals, like you need you need I mean this right, but this uh, you know but, yeah. I, I don't think the theater will be the way it is now. Like, oh yeah, no, 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 be it's highly special. It is yeah. going, yeah, it's going to completely have to change. Yeah, interesting. We'll see. Speaking of movies, more movies, more, more movies. movies. Movies are coming out, y'all. Yeah. Um, you know, we're two trailers of note have come out, and of course, we love doing trailer roundups. But one in particular is very interesting to me because it is a book that I literally read like a week, like two weeks ago. Like, oh my God. It is a book that I just finished. I'm talking about Annihilation. Um, so Annihilation is based on the best-selling novel by Jeff Vandermeer. Um, it's going to be directed by ex Machina director Alex Garland. Um, that movie got a lot of buzz. I've yet to see that movie. Really? Actually. So what? I need to see that okay. movie. Ex Machina is uh, great. Yes. <laughs> um, so, you know, Annihilation, um, you know, it's going to star Natalie Portman, uh, Jennifer J- Jason Leigh, uh, Gina Rodriguez, and Oscar Isaac. Um, this is uh, Annihilation is a book part of a trilogy. Um, I think I read somewhere that the rights for all three books have been sold, but uh, this particular student. I'm kind of confused on how this happened, but it looks like just this movie is being adapted at the moment, just right now, as its own standalone story. However, uh, in the trailer, there are scenes that... that technically take place in book number two. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if Alex Garland has read the entire trilogy and decided to incorporate parts of those yeah. into this, uh, but that would make sense because the way those those books read, you, uh, really, the, it's Annihilation and then the two books to explain what the fuck you just read. <laughs> like that's how oh. that's how that trilogy really truthfully <laughs> works. Okay. Although uh, uh, book two does have, um, which made me really happy, uh, its lead character is a man of color, Hispanic man. So that was uh, really interesting. Um, but yeah, speaking of that, in the trailer, we have people of color and minorities and women. Yeah. Like, this is awesome. We have a lot of great it's things. It's like female leads. Yes, yeah. all female leads. Um, if you don't know the story of Annihilation, um, it's really, it's, there's been this like weird environmental uh, um, sort of ha- no one can, phenomenon that no one can explain uh, in Area X, and there are expeditions that are sent into Area X, and this story deals with an expedition of all women that was sent into Area X. Um, but yeah, people of color and minorities in the trailer, we have Gina Rodriguez, of course, and Oscar Isaac. Um, a lot of people were thinking Oscar Isaac would be playing the lead character from book two, because he's, of course, a Hispanic man, but it looks like he's going to be the husband um, that was featured in book one. Uh, you guys have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about book one or two. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, thoughts and feelings on this trailer. A lot of people uh, um, weighed in on it. They're like, whoa, what the fuck is this? A crazy sci-fi movie coming out? What? It reminded me a lot of Arrival, like the trailer to Arrival, just like this this mysterious thing going on. Yeah. Not yeah. sure what's going I agree. on. And I, I'm looking through the cast list and I find it so interesting that the characters' names don't have, like, actual names, but no. just, like, pronouns. No, and that is by design. Yeah. Yeah. Like, know. the biologist, the psychologist, the exactly. surveyor. Exactly. It's really interesting, but... Yeah. I think it looks great, though. 
I'm hyped for it. Olivia? Yeah. I'm hyped. Yeah. Like, Gina Rodriguez, Jessica, uh, Tessa Thompson, right. Oscar Isaac, sign me the fuck up. Yeah, a lot of... A sign lo- me up. <laughs> a lot of great people in it. Um, I will say, so, um, you know, I'm actually reading through the trilogy right now. By the way, I, when I picked up the book, I had no idea that the movies were being made. Oh. I just, like, I've heard of those books in the sort of, like, Lovecraftian, uneasy horror of them, and that fascinated me, so I picked it up, and um, they are scary, but in a more subtle, like, uh, subdued way. They're absolutely terrifying. Um, I think Olivia came over one night and she knocked on the door and I was in the middle of reading the book. I literally jumped out of my seat. I was like, what the fuck? I was so scared. That's funny. Uh, but yeah, those, it, they're really... He like half opened yeah. the door. He was like, who the fuck? But, yeah, it's, they're disturbing books. Um, I will say this trailer is awesome, but it does, uh, I mean, they're, they're definitely going over with uh, the effects and the horror that yeah. is just not present in the book. Oh. In the book, it's a more subdued, uneasy thing. Like, it, the whole point of the book in the environment is that it's like this picture-perfect thing, yet something is slightly off about it, and you don't know like why. Like Uncanny Valley. And that's, yes, exactly. And that's why it's really messing with you. But here it's like, no, it's fucking yeah. crazy, yo. <laughs> like, they need to make it cinematic. Yeah, like, yeah which, ex- which is true. They need to make it cinematic. And you know one thing that I read is that Alex Garland was so in love with just the basic broad strokes of that first book that he wanted to explore that really then being a true adaptation so he said this is a retelling of that story in the first book but yeah i'm you know i'm hyped a lot of people of color and it's gonna be you know a book that i love being turned into a movie fuck yeah Yeah. i'm excited i hope it lives up to the book we'll see i mean you know uh well the book and the movie like the book and the movie adaptations are always different yes but i don't know I think, especially, like, you haven't seen Ex Machina, but I feel like Ex Machina does a really good job of that kind of, like... He's a great director, yeah. It's it's really good, but I think that, like, unease, Mm -hmm. Ex Machina does a really good job of, like, seeding in that unease, and, like, you just never know where it's going to go. Yeah, what's going, yeah, yeah. Like, you're, but, like, you're tense the entire time you're watching that movie. Every single second. And so I think because of that and, like, because of what you said about the book, I think it might be a good fit. Yeah. Yeah. It's honestly one of my favorite stories I've ever read. It's just amazing. Really, truly amazing book. Um, Yeah. I'm excited. So that comes out February 23rd next year. Damn, next year. Damn. At a kind of a weird time. Yeah. Early, Early year. Okay, okay. Hopefully that doesn't mean it's yeah. bad. They're obviously not going for an Oscar run. I was about to say, they're yeah. not going for the Oscars. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it's a sci-fi horror movie, so obviously not. Yeah. <laughs> of course, not the only movie that we're excited, or not, well, speaking okay. Speaking of Oscar runs. <laughs> yes, speaking oh. of Oscar runs, we are getting a new Wes Anderson movie. Um, it's been a while since we got the last yeah, one, Grand, Grand Budapest, Budapest Hotel, which was what, one. like almost four years ago now. Yeah, it was a what? Yeah, yeah, dude. It was Damn, almost okay. four years ago now. I think it was like three years ago. Animation um, takes a long time. Animation yeah. takes a long time. Yeah. Wes Anderson is back to the stop motion, of course. Um, you know, he did it with Fantastic Mr. Fox, which I thought was a fantastic, fantastic fantastic movie. Fantastic Mr. Fox was fantastic. Um, So this is another stop motion movie. It's set in Japan or off the coast of Japan. We don't, in the Isle of Dog, somewhere near Japan. Um, It is about a boy's search for his dog. If you watch the trail, you pretty much get the, almost the entire story, really. If you want to just really be honest about it. Um, It has a huge, uh, amazing all-star cast. Of course, as all Wes Anderson movies 
Francisco. You have Scar Joe, Ed Norton, Tilda Swinton, Brian Cranston, uh, mainstays like uh, Bill Murray, and many, many more. Um, yeah. It's, uh, you know, thoughts and feelings on this. You know, Wes Anderson's one of those really polarizing directors for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and he's back to stop motion. I think that it looks like really touching. Like it could yeah. be a really touching movie. Right. Sweet. Right. But most a boy of, and his dog. Yeah. I mean, that's like yeah. as sweet as it can get, yeah. right? Um, I don't know. I just like the most of the cast, like voice cast, is like white actors. Yes. Basically. That's exactly what yeah. I was gonna yeah. say. To be fair, they're playing dogs. Yeah. Which you know. I mean, which even... is important. Which is important to note though, yeah. because they're not playing Asian characters. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> my comment still stands it's still like a really pale palette of voice actors I just you know I think when we're talking about representation people are like oh well like behind the mic it doesn't matter but actually it does Um, you know behind the camera behind a mic behind anything like those voices do matter and like the mobility for those voices matter so like to, absolutely fair, and Wes but Anderson yes. is like the to whitest Edgar's of white point. directors, yeah. you know. But uh, to Edgar's point, they are playing dogs. Yes. Um, yeah. Although there are a few human characters that are supposed to be Japanese. There uh, are Japanese one, characters, there and there is are Japanese, a Japanese actors. voice actor. I will yeah. say that there are Japanese voice actors. Yes. Um, playing the Japanese characters. I mean, I'm sort of like lukewarm on it. I think, and like. I mean, yeah, fair, fair. You know. I did really, I did really love Fantastic Mr. Fox, though. So I, I mean, I'm willing to give this I'm movie sure, a shot. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a great movie. Yeah, I mean, I've never, yeah. I mean, I'm one of those people. I've never been disappointed by a Wes Anderson exactly, movie. Is yeah. it white people shit? Absolutely, but I know that going in. Yeah. Um, is he? You know, uh, I'm not saying he's not being racist or anything. As well, I don't know. I don't know. I have to watch the movie. We'll see. But, but no. But you know, it's not. You know, I'm not like as apprehensive. Um, but definitely Wes Anderson, he's a Texan man from Houston, yet yeah. his movies are about other people's cultures. Like he, you know, True. whether it's European culture, whether it's other American culture, or whether it's, uh, you know, culture in Asia. Darjeeling, Darjeeling Limited, of course. Oh, uh, I yeah. haven't seen that movie. And a lot I don't of people, know how I would feel about a lot it, of honestly. Have, well, it's about white people in India. So, I mean, no. you know, how do you feel <laughs> about that? Not, and, you know, not that it treats the Indian characters unfairly or yeah, anything. Yeah, it's, you know, about these white people because that's what Wes Anderson's interested in is usually affluent right. rich white people like that's the people I mean Royal Tenenbaums like that's the stuff yeah. that he likes yeah. I'm not saying it's not brilliant I fucking love Royal Tenenbaums I think it's an amazing movie white people shit man I do I do feel a little bit weird about the kind of Japanese font in the poster I'm just like hmm I don't know how to I don't know how to feel about it is what I should say like I don't have an opinion mm-hmm. I don't have an opinion I haven't formed an opinion yet because I don't know how to feel that. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I'm not, yeah. you know, I, I can't speak on it. It doesn't offend me or, or you know, I mean, you know, writing is writing. And True. it's, you know, it can be, you. I mean, we use Arabic letters. We, you know, like cultures and everything changes when it, and the writing form is so different. But um, it's definitely being used in a stylized way. But to be fair, the movie takes place in Japan. Japan. Yeah. And as obviously a lot of Japanese culture in the movie, just in the little trailer that you see, you see a lot mm-hmm. of Japanese influence and Japanese culture. And um, I would assume that Wes Anderson's really influenced by Japanese cinema. Probably. Um, yeah. So, you know, I don't know. Yeah. 
We'll see. That Not comes out yet. March 23rd. March 23rd. Dang. Yeah. Okay, next year. Two movies for next yeah. year. With <laughs> teaser trailers. Teaser trailers. Um, but yeah, that has been our episode for the week. Uh, a, kind of a mishmash of all sorts of topics, really. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of movie talk this episode, a lot of industry talk. Um, let us know how you feel about that. Maybe that's something you like and you want to hear more of that or a different version of that. We are always here to listen to what you have to say. So please, please leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, Google Play, whatever uh, you use to listen to podcasts. Um, as always, you can follow us on all our social media at Minority Pod, except on Facebook where we are the whole thing, the Minority Report podcast um yeah that's it we will talk to you next week yeah bye bye, bye.